Welcome to the Cosine Podcast, created for and by real people. Hello, hello, once again, this is your host, Michaela Costeco, welcoming you back to the Cosine Podcast. I did not record an episode last Wednesday, as was promised, but in my defense and to my dismay, the holidays <laughs> ended up being much more time-consuming and chaotic than I anticipated. I think, as many of you most likely are Spokane natives, the the night before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, is in every which way a holiday in and of itself. If anybody went to Fizzy's on Wednesday night, I'm sure you understand. <laughs> it's essentially a high school reunion between Mead and Mount Spokane high schools. Uh, I'm personally very curious out of the GSL, the, you know, 12 larger high schools in the Spokane area, what what the other bars are in different areas. I have a cousin who went to Lewis and Clark LC High School and we were discussing at Thanksgiving a similar aura unfolding at this bar on the south hill of Spokane um kind of closer to downtown where everyone from her high school LC Lewis and Clark and friends from Ferris were in attendance in masses I absolutely and love this day if you cannot tell it's it's the most unspoken holiday and i'm just dying to know if this is like a united states wide tradition uh it seems to be i mean very much so the case because everybody is home for the holidays and most people stay in their hometown or with their parents is pretty short. I mean, Thanksgiving is not as notoriable of a holiday or big of a deal as like Christmas. And I think too with Christmas, because there are so many traditions each and every family and friend group has, it's so hard to get everybody at the same place at once. But I feel like with Thanksgiving, People fly home, people drive home, people have the day off of work or they just got off work. Thanksgiving also falls on a Thursday, so everyone kind of doesn't care about how late they are out because they don't work for another two days and then they have the weekend. I was really curious, and if you guys want to divulge into what that bar is, um, where everybody from your high school attends to basically get super super rowdy the night before thanksgiving please let me know because i'm so curious i find it so fascinating and especially fascinating that i look forward to thanksgiving eve quote every single year it is like the highlight of the holiday season kickoff it's just so heartwarming slightly awkward as well at times to see basically everybody you know and if you haven't seen them in in years since high school you probably see half of these people once a year 
at Thanksgiving Eve. So there's a traditional like aspect to it. And I think that's why everybody goes to the same place in in each kind of area or neighborhood because they know that they're going to see a ton of people that they may not be keeping in contact with throughout the year otherwise, but have a lot in common with or a backstory with from the high school experience. It's just so... It just is hilarious, and I love it. (laughs) That was my extremely long-winded response and explanation uh, to any questions as to why I didn't record an episode last Wednesday, but I also had to seize the opportunity to discuss why and emphasize what I believe is relatability. I mean, come on, Thanksgiving Eve? Put it on your calendars. Um, and that obviously was followed up with Thanksgiving itself, of which was incredibly crazy. Um, aside from being somewhat hungover, if I do say so myself, I had to attend two Thanksgivings, one of which for my family and my boyfriend's family. And then on Friday, we had a relatively historic day in college sports for the greater eastern Washington area um Gonzaga men played Duke which was essentially a game that aided in determining the competitiveness hopefully not we did lose of of GU for the coming basketball season And then likewise, the Apple Cup took place, and the Cougs did win. I have mixed feelings. I mean, I did go to UW, and I was an athlete at the University of Washington. And I knew a lot of the the guys on the football team. But simultaneously, my sister is graduating from WSU this semester here in early December. And then my mom did cheer at WSU. So I I would say overall it was a it was a thrilling time and a a great a great follow up to the festivities that transpired earlier in the week. Um yeah. But now that the work week is back underway and many of us are pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to get back into the routine of things with Thanksgiving behind us, but simultaneously with Christmas ahead of us, I am back on the podcast and unfortunately not with my dad, of of which I hoped to have on this episode to divulge into his side of the story pertaining to the many moves we endured as a family in my childhood and discussing his kind of grander financial vision throughout all of those purchases and sales but he and I have mutually agreed upon waiting until Christmas break so mid-December two episodes from now and upon him being free of school free of teaching for the break and and settled at home we will resume that conversation. He is a busy guy. There is no secret. As I had mentioned previously, he is a full-time 
high school math teacher. He is a full-time coach and a real estate agent, a real estate investor, and manages his own properties with my mom. Simultaneous to all of that, of course, he is the father of many children, and many of those children at the moment are involved in sports, extracurricular activities, and being the guy and the dad he is, he's in attendance to just about every sporting event. I just got off the phone with him, and he was watching my brother Nathan at a wrestling tournament. So we'll take a break on that conversation I'm sorry if you or any of you were anticipating that follow-up. I know I most definitely was, but we will resume that conversation and kind of summarize in the beginning of the episode, prefacing his perspective on all of it and his, you know, story as an investor. Likewise, the motivations and strategies he's applied A question that did arise, however, pertaining to my last episode, 13 Moves in 23 Years, the Costeca Chronicles, (laughs) was largely circulated around a bit of a concern or a, a stark polarization between the financial mobility and options that may have been had for couples and families in their mid-20s to mid-30s, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10, even five years ago, compared to now. Um, I kind of lay out the timeline of my family's process pertaining to purchasing and selling homes, flipping homes, and refinancing homes for the you know for the purpose of investment and equity accumulation but I think a lot of us in the current market are well aware of the fact that homes are more expensive and that inventory is much much more scarce than it has been in previous years which opens up a whole can of worms regarding inflation and a mass exodus from the western cities, you know, larger metropolitan areas of Washington coming over to the east side of the state. Um, The spillover effect from Idaho and Coeur d'Alene, as we all know, Coeur d'Alene in particular was listed by the Wall Street Journal and Realtor.com as the single hottest real estate market in the country for the year 2020 and 2021. That has an indisputed effect on our market in the greater Spokane area. Combination with the low inventory of houses, one would think naturally, well, the solution to few houses being up for resale seems to be that we would just build more houses. Well, that solution of new construction was largely impossible because, you know, since the inception of COVID, we first dealt with labor shortages and, you know, government-enforced hiatuses from work in the construction industry. And then simultaneous to that, we've seen probably historically 
impossible means of getting materials. The lumber shortage in particular is a crazy one. From an economical standpoint, I really don't think the situation that exists today could have been predicted by an economist. And I mean, obviously many economists and real estate projectors could anticipate a raise in home prices or a lowering of inventory due to demand, but the age-old concept of supply and demand, both are strained. Demand is high and supply is low. And in addition to that low supply, no new homes are being created to balance the market out. Typically, if there is a high demand for homes, many contractors will seize the financial opportunity to subdivide and develop more homes regarding new construction. But as I explained, due to material shortages and labor kind of insufficiencies, we are not seeing that happen. So all the homes that have already been built and have stood and been resold for, you know, the last 50 years are just continuously circulating through the market. Not to say that there is not new construction going on, but the rate of new construction that would have to be had to balance the market out is it is nowhere close. So I do understand how a story like my family's seems so intangible and unattainable in today's market standards. But it is a conversation worth entertaining in and of itself. I mean, there has been such a drastic change in every industry, in every market and every inventory across the board, whether it be retail, whether it be food industry, hospitality, real estate, stocks. <laughs> I mean, seriously, everything has been affected by the ripple effects of COVID-19, which, as we know, have been material shortages, labor shortages, and stimulus distribution, which I don't think in and of itself is a problem, but that may have been the cherry on top combined with everything I mentioned previously for a serious level of inflation that we are now experiencing. Other than the cliche signifiers of inflation, which are either grocery prices are rising or gas prices are rising, I think there are a few specific and unique effects of this COVID-related inflation we are experiencing, and those effects have become the most prominent in rent and wages. Breaking down these two signifiers being rent increase and hiring wage increase are hard because it's sort of difficult to determine, as they say, which came first, the chicken or the egg, because granted, if wages increase, then rent and cost of living will inevitably increase. And if rent and cost of living increase, then companies are obliged morally to increase their wages so their employees can live sustainably while still working for their company instead of finding work elsewhere. Start with rent increases. I mean, if it's COVID specific rather than like 
economically predictable. What, what I mean by economically predictable is kind of to what I said a few seconds ago. If cost of living goes up, if wages go up, rent will also increase. But on the COVID-specific side of things, rent has increased because we are experiencing a housing shortage and our inventory is low. So many people are unable to get settled into a home that they have purchased because the market has been so competitive. I will say it is slowing down and the market is evening out a little bit. But those people who otherwise would have attempted to purchase a home either cannot afford a home or cannot find a home in time. Maybe they moved from the west side and they are beginning a job in Spokane. And with that being said, from cities that have more inflation or greater cost of living than Spokane, if there, for example, is a young couple or a young family who is moving from the greater Seattle area, the odds are that these people who have come from bigger metropolitan areas to Spokane have come with padded pocketbooks. Maybe they sold their house in Seattle and they're walking away with quite a bit of equity because, of course, Seattle was already more expensive than Spokane, for example, but that city also experienced the same level of inflation that we did here. So what happens to the Spokane locals who were ready to enter the real estate market mid-COVID, they get outbid or the market as a whole gets infiltrated by people who have moved from other cities. What this does is definitely pigeonholes many of the people who were originally in the housing market or looking to get into it into renting. So now we have a lot of people renting, more people wanting to rent than before because it is hard to purchase a house. The problem with that, back to construction and material slash labor shortages, is now we've reached a rental to capacity. Well, it's hard to facilitate new construction and all the houses are too expensive for many people to buy or they're getting outbid and we have a citywide regionally-wide housing crisis of some kind. I know I'm preaching to the choir, and we have all heard these topics debated on television, in our friend groups, at Thanksgiving. I got into a few conversations myself at Fizzy's on Thanksgiving Eve. Now, the obvious solution that I referred to regarding pay before would be, well cost of living has gone up, rent has gone up, we need to pay our people more. And you would think that businesses paying their employees higher wages would help get those people who were on the fence or wanting to enter the real estate market and had to rent, it would get them back into the housing market and financially able to purchase a home. This is where we meet our second COVID-related topic that I had again referred to earlier which is is wages and are those wages being risen due to the fact that we're experiencing inflation and cost of living is higher or are those wages being risen because it is harder to incentivize people to work due to the amount of stimulus that was given out due to the amount of people that were had to you know, go on unemployment because of COVID-related situations. 
I think the reality is that no one theory I've kind of delved into is responsible or is the utmost truth behind why we're seeing increases in every aspect other than the housing market, which we're seeing decreases in inventory. I think that they're all extremely interconnected and any economist, any business-oriented publication will definitely point out the fact that it is a myriad of events and ripple effects that have led us to where we are today. But with this being said, now I think there is some artificial inflation that has happened rather than like the you know ripple effect that naturally happens when certain elements of an area raise in price and one of those artificial points of inflation would be the fact that if you are driving down division for example very spokane niche to to know division is the main road running through spokane and you see um a Burger King advertisement for a starting wage of 18 to $20 an hour. I'm sure you're going to think to yourself, well, those wages are either the result of labor shortages. And obviously, if you had worked fast food for your entire life, you probably post-COVID were pretty sick of it for a variety of reasons. Traditionally, large corporations like fast food chains are underpaying and overworking their employees. So there is that theory. Wow, they're finally offering higher wages because no one wants to work those jobs for a minimal pay. Whether it be because of unemployment benefits or a you know career shift or the newfound investment phenomenon of decentralized currencies, cryptocurrencies, a lot of people have found other means of making money. So there's that aspect to it. Well, a lot of people have quit and these companies are finally realizing what their employees are worth. But when I say artificial inflation or insemination, I want to address the fact that There is definitely reason other than basic humanitarianism as to why we are seeing minimum wage jobs or what were previously minimum wage positions rise in hiring pay. I was reading an article the other day and there was a level of concern regarding what I've been addressing through a large portion of this episode that concern being how much minimum wage entry-level jobs have increased in starting pay and how most of these minimum wage entry-level jobs are those jobs available at fast food chains, franchises, not small businesses, national, international franchises. And A very likely reason as to why these wages have increased so much, therefore causing the ripple effect onto every other economic aspect, like rent increase. The reason why they have risen their hourly wage is because 
many of these franchises received a PPP loan called, you know, otherwise a Paycheck Protection Program loan that was designed more so for small businesses, but has been absorbed by some of the biggest franchises we know. I use the equivalent uh, or the reference to driving down division and seeing a major fast food company offering, you know, a extremely high starting wage that surpasses the minimum wage in the state of Washington by $5 or more. Significantly higher wages, and if we incentivize new employees with significantly higher wages, then we can quickly spend our PPP allotment on a reasonable cause and basically be able not to to pay it back. We are, we we spent all the money on wages, therefore we have transformed what was once a loan into a grant because the money was spent on increased wages. But when corporate America, aka fast food restaurants, raise their minimum wages or their entry level position hourly wages, that inevitably is going to aid in the already existing inflation we see in Spokane, for example. The point that I make with getting into this is due to the fact that when these prices and these wages rise, it directly affects every aspect of living costs that I discussed previously. Rent, groceries, gas, retail, all of it. And all of those sectors are already being affected by COVID and the repercussions of COVID. If you are interested in entering the housing market and the cost of living increasing so rapidly or the increase of minimum wage positions increasing rapidly concerns you, I make the points I have in my little spiel because I want you to understand that because it is largely artificial, I will explain is a good thing only because it's not a natural cause and effect situation we are dealing with. If it were a natural cause and effect that we were dealing with, and if it were so that, you know, minimum wage was rising and because of that rise, you know, housing and all essential items were rising in price to to match it, then it would be very clear that there's not much we can do about it other than further, I guess, put a Band-Aid on the problem with more inflation by by raising more, you know, the, that's the thing is like the more you raise wages, the more cost of living will also rise. But because it is artificial in some way due to COVID, due to government aid, due to certain programs that these larger companies have access to, there's a smidge of promise that eventually whatever you know covid rehabilitation aid these these companies have been given will eventually cease the second vaccination rates 
increase to a certain point the second that we see a calmingness of you know the housing market and affordability of lifestyle is the second that things will even out whereas if there was no hand given by government aid this could just keep on going forever and ever and ever until we experience the popping of the bubble the analogy of the bubble is used regarding inflation and the popping of the bubble refers to a recession of some kind in the case that may very well be true being the reason we are experiencing inflation is due to the effects of covid rather than a natural progression of inflation that we've seen in our country's history if this is true then once the bubble stops expanding because covid and the effects of covid and the government aid because of covid peters out or stops wouldn't that naturally mean that the housing market would even out as well entering the market as soon as you can is the one way of which you can control your monthly payment to live if your monthly payment to live is in the form of rent rather than a mortgage that rent is just as volatile as the level of inflation we are seeing. As inflation becomes more severe, rent prices will only raise. If you buy a home in the current market today, for example, your mortgage, if it is a mortgage with a fixed interest rate, which just about every first-time home buyer or 30-year conventional mortgage has will not change in any way. Your mortgage payment, let's say it's a 30-year fixed loan, will be consistent despite what the financial market around it does. The interest rates are historically low. They are not as low as they were earlier in the year, but they are still lower than we have seen as a whole in the last decade. Those interest rates are also not volatile in comparison to the market. Those interest rates and your mortgage payment are set. Home insurance may be a variable. Utilities may be a variable. But the bulk of your monthly payment is controlled when you are paying a mortgage on a home rather than is not controlled when you are paying rent on a home. Know that a lot of young people are sort of anticipating a recession because in their eyes, you know, the 2008 recession resulted in very affordable, if not cheap, foreclosed homes or people not being able to make their mortgage payments or companies laying off employees. But I will say that the likelihood of something that aggressive in similarity to 2008 happening is really low due to everything I explained. But this is also a unique time to consider buying because we are sort of, you know, in the approximate middle of the inflation process we've seen transpired since COVID began. I mean, housing prices were already increasing pre-COVID and they will 
you know, steadily appreciate through time, assuming that a, a home is being taken care of. So if homes were already increasing in price pre-COVID, and if homes are further increasing in price due to COVID, and on top of that, if rent is going to continue to increase, I would place my bets on the fact, once again, that home ownership is going to be one of the few ways to both control your monthly payments and, because home prices are increasing anyways, to build equity and make profit if you decide to sell or flip your home. If the story of how my parents were able to use their primary residence as a means of profit and you make the comparison to the market in the early 2000s, to the market now, and you tell me, well, Michaela, that's a great story, good for them, but it is no longer feasible for me to follow that financial strategy because stuff's so expensive. I will tell you, everything that I have just divulged into is evidence that the inflation we are experiencing today is not authentic inflation. And even if this, you know, artificial inflation, I take a shot every time I say artificial, um, is going to continue to take place, well, what better time to buy a home? Because, and what better time to get into the cycle if it is a lifestyle you choose, similar to my parents, where you're buying and selling homes every couple of years or so? Because... If they're increasing, if the prices are increasing, if you are building equity at a rate that will allow you to resell and gain profit, I can't think of a of a better time to jump on the bandwagon because the amount that homes will increase from now projected another 16.7% in 2022. They rose about 20% in 2021. That trend will continue to upgrade and housing prices and market values will, in, will continue to increase as well. Now, if the COVID problem is solved, that will definitely, hopefully, calm the inflation down. But even when the problem of COVID is solved in any capacity, it is going to take our economy a while to get back to somewhat of a normal. And that somewhat of a normal will not be the normal of 2019. The market as a whole will be so affected by the level of inflation and the low inventories we have experienced, let's say in a real estate standpoint, that regardless, for the next decade, probably at the least, there will be opportunities to buy and sell and make profit or to rent homes that you have purchased and make profit because rent is increasing. Even when all of those increases kind of dissipate a bit, it's still going to be a higher standard overall than, than it was before COVID. So that is my TED Talk regarding reasons why now is probably the best time to buy a home or, you know, the near future rather than later. 
It's not the best time to buy a home in the last decade, but it will be the best time to buy a home in the next decade. Because as I said, things are going to only increase more. And even when they pan out, they will be panning out at a way higher level of inflation than they are today. So with that being said, if you have any further questions, this is not financial advice. This is the culmination of my opinions, my research, the conversations I have been having over the course of the last year or two. And it is my job as a realtor to protect the people who I work with and work for. By giving all this information, I am not trying to sell you a house. I am not trying to get you to buy a house. I am merely suggesting that continuing the process that many of you have already started, saving for a down payment, getting your credit score in a good place, you know, asserting yourself at your job where you have proof of consistent income, all of these things you should be continuing to do with the hope and with the goal of purchasing a home probably in the nearest future possible because we don't really know how much higher this market will go and how much more inflation will rise. But the second you get in, when it's as low as it will be to to the current standards, which is now, assuming it will only rise the sooner you can start to build equity and have the potential to make profit. Your first home, very unlikely, it will be your end-all, be-all home. There's a reason they call them starter homes. And getting yourself in your starter home is not impossible. This market is not impervious to young people who are starting their careers. If you play it smart, if you strategize your finances you can do it. And now is the time. So I thank you once again for listening to this sort of stream of consciousness of mine. I hope it did help you kind of conceptualize what's going on. I encourage each and every one of you to do as much research as you can. Although corny knowledge is power and with the volatility of the entire economy, due to what has happened in the last two years, being educated and having equity in real estate are two of the primary ways of which you can continue to build the lifestyle you desire and strive for the financial goals of yours, no matter what is happening in the world around you. If you are interested in having a conversation, please feel free to DM me on Instagram or Facebook at Michaela Costeca. I look forward to speaking with you next Wednesday. Thank you. Welcome back to the Cosign Podcast. This is your host, Michaela Costeca, and I am honored and so excited to finally be interviewing my father, Pat Costeca, a fellow realtor, and might I add, mastermind of an investor, excuse me. Um, The highly anticipated interview of my dad, Pat, is finally live today. And I am, I'm so excited to share with you guys a lot of his philosophies and kind of invite you into the world um, of investing and kind of the mindsets regarding investing in real estate. I mean, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to share it with you guys. And 
hopefully, again, invite you into kind of the mindset and philosophies that I was raised upon and that honestly were enough to persuade me into joining the, um, the field of real estate myself. So welcome, Pat Costeca. All right. Welcome, Dad, to the Hi. Cosign Podcast. How you doing? Good, good. I'm so excited to finally have you on. I've, you know, I teased my following with having you on for uh, the last two months, but granted, you are a very busy man. You're finally retiring, but you were a full-time teacher coach, simultaneous to being an investor and Airbnb Verbo manager, and Correct. then a realtor. <laughs> so <laughs> Just a few jobs. Yeah, yeah. And so I think... We've discussed this, but a lot of my neuroticism and, I guess, um, inability to have one job at, at a point is probably inspired by you and mom. <laughs> Not to mention they, they have eight children, I guess. I've explained that in my for, you know earlier episodes, but you're a busy guy. <laughs> yes, but I enjoy being busy. Yeah, no, and I, I guess I just want to begin by maybe having you introduce yourself. You just switched brokerages. Yes. Um. So yeah, just give a brief introduction about yourself, and I guess you're at a turning point in life as well because you're you're phasing out of being a teacher. But Correct. I'll go, go, you take the reins. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I've been uh, investing now for thirty some years, but yeah, started off as a teacher, and and um, when I first got into investing, there was no computers, no cell phones. It was simply just the spokesman review, and so there was a friend of mine who was probably six years older who had already invested, and so his thing at the time was you got to get knowledgeable about the market. Now for everybody else these days, you can get knowledgeable with your phone and and all that. But for me back then, it was simply just communicating with people and especially reading the newspaper, which is really kind of equal to reading the computer, mm-hmm. you know, on Realtor.com, Zillow, whatever it may be. So I spent two years trying to understand the market. I would actually meet real estate agents and go see houses and I had absolutely no money. <laughs> and then by the time I finally was ready to go, literally picked up five duplexes at the age of 26 within two months and um, and then just started that journey going forward. And my whole philosophy behind real estate as opposed to the stock market is I wanted to be able to create a three-headed uh, gig. One, it would pay me per month to live. Two, somebody else will be paying for it. Three, I get the depreciation. And four, or I guess it'd be four, is that it goes up and up in value like a stock. Yeah. And But I was always too afraid to invest in the stock market because my parents were older and they would have older friends around the house and I would sit around even at the age of 12 and listen to what they did and didn't do. And it always amazed me to hear the stories of people losing money Uh, in the the stock stock market. market. Yes. But I always knew Spokane was a safe market. Yeah. Well, you know, Spokane too, especially at the time of which you got in, was still in the process of rapidly expanding outward. And I think there's still a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of land, you know, surrounding the area of Spokane that I know there are issues at the moment with a bit of a housing crisis right now. We're trying to figure out how to subdivide and and get like proper sewage and water source for some of these expanding developments so much like a midway or like up on Peon Prairie. But you are right. There is a lot of expandable land and we are probably reaching the point where we will see no differentiation between Airway Heights and downtown Spokane. Or similar to, you know, no differentiation between the Mead area and Chatteroy, or Mead area and Deer Park. And going outward, there is no longer a division between Spokane and Spokane Valley. You have a highway or freeway, 
and surrounding it is housing developments. So you I know, think, speaking of the yeah. highway and freeway, <laughs> once they get the north-south highway in, that's mm. going to be interesting. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, it'll be interesting in the sense of what does it do to prices in the meat area. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we know that Liberty Lake is has higher prices, mm-hmm. um, but yet you have... You're closer to a lot of things and the ability to get downtown Spokane, downtown Coeur d'Alene, et cetera. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. the thing about Spokane is it stayed steady Eddie forever mm-hmm. and it barely went up. And so people look at all the stuff that's gone on in the last four years and how prices have increased and they're like, well, it's going to it's gonna go right back down. Well, A, we're not California. Yeah. B, is that this has been in... A long time coming right and in the big crash in 07 or whatever um you know the problem was they were giving dummy loans to people yeah it's a whole <laughs> lot different now you got people coming from all over the place moving to spokane because they've heard about it right and, and it's a great place and not only that they're selling in high um places and moving here with right. a lot of money so they're putting minimum 20% down on houses. So even if they went down in value, they're not going to be upside down. Right. And the thing is too, this, the, the thing that I, the stigma around what happened with, with COVID-19 and in the last two years, especially there is a, a tendency for people who are not educated in the way that like real estate economics work to compare what happened here to 2008. But the difference is it is not a problem of irresponsible lending. Yes, interest rates are low. That is not irresponsible lending. You're not going to have a housing crash. You're not going to have foreclosures. We understand that the reason foreclosures happened in 2008 is because people were lended money irresponsibly and there was no guarantee that they would make their monthly payments. And we saw the economy start to shift and people couldn't make their payments and then houses were foreclosed upon and it sent the whole thing down and houses were cheap. Well, the difference now is we're dealing with an opposite situation where housing values have actually increased substantially, but people due to working from home, due to realizing with, with COVID and quarantine that they no longer want the big city life and, and they're maybe ready for a more, you know, Spokane is a nice healthy median in that way. There's, there's sprawling suburbs, there's access to nature. There is a, a smaller, but Spokane, they said it's the biggest, smallest city. It's, you know, it's the number two, um, I think population per capita in Washington, I think underneath Tacoma, but you would never know. It doesn't seem that populous here. It's well, you, out, you, you, know? you said something, people can work from home. And exactly. I think at the end of the day, the human spirit was born to be in nature, Yeah. you know, and there's yeah. certain people that desire the city and they desire the city at certain ages and even at all ages. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, what really brings, what do people really want out of life? They want pleasure, relaxation. They yeah. want fun. Yeah. They want a lot of things. And Spokane offers all of those right. things, included in the international airport. Oh, and, and, you know, included in the four seasons as well i mean we're dealing with you know summer we have an incredible access to to lake river um hiking camping your traditional summer activities but come the winter we have i mean i would say within a couple hours we probably have four ski hills i think in our we have 49 degrees north we have Schweitzer's, I guess, a little longer than an hour. We have uh, Kellogg, Silver Mountain, which you own condos at, which I would love to talk about later in this conversation. Mount um, Spokane. Mount Spokane. Lookout. Lookout. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. really fun for the full, whole family at any point in the year. And, right. And honestly, like, we do get a decent amount of snow here, but I think if you were coming from Seattle, per se, the west side, where they don't necessarily experience a full four seasons, or even somewhere in California... We're not dealing with East Coast snowfall here. We're not dealing with yeah, Colorado snowfall here. You know, and so nor does the nor does it stay 
really um, deep for long. Yes. It'll, it'll, There's enough yeah. temperature fluctuation it's that not it bad. melts. And, not yeah. Bad. Okay. Well, I, I, I love these conversations and I, I, you are the person that I go to. Obviously, you're my dad, but you're also a mentor of sort and I can kind of pick your brain and, and talk just kind of like general good old boys philosophy, you know, analyzing the market and the fluctuation and the logic and in, in staying in Spokane and investing in Spokane. But what I do want to get into is just a little bit of your backstory. Um, we kind of briefly discussed like a, a, the timeline of your beginnings in the investment world. So I had done a podcast about my, you know, the amount of moves I've done in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I kind of brought it back from the very beginning I had brought everybody, all my followers back to, you know, about, it would have been 19. When did you build the first house in Chihuahua? Oh, 1997? Good question. It would have been in 1993. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So before I was born and I knew it was before I was born, but you know, the timeline gets so iffy in my mind, but I want to just talk about that. You you know, you and mom got married in 1992. And then within the first year, you guys were able to construct your own home. Well, let and me let me talk about that. Yeah, and let's, how let's that do it. Also, <laughs> it's the whole idea of grind. Yeah. You know, and when I tell my students, and you know as one of my children, mm-hmm. um, you got to learn to say no to the things that don't matter. You yeah. don't have to have a coffee every day. You don't have yeah. to go and sp- spend the night in an expensive hotel. Mm-hmm. You can camp. You can do all kinds of things for fun. Yes. And you growing up, and you know this, we didn't lack fun or travel no. or anything. But we, but we said no to a lot of the things that just doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so with that said, the grind of saving money mm-hmm. and getting to the point where you could put a down payment is a big deal. But yeah. then there's the grind of building. Yes. And that's a whole nother story. Oh, I'd never gosh. built a house in my entire life. Right. But, you know, I was in a carpenter class at Mead High School mm-hmm. for three years, two hours a day, and learned whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, certainly not enough. But I uh, decided I was going to do this. And I took this project on, and part of it was by luck that there was a contractor who allowed me to build, but he couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a buddy of mine who was building the house across the street and he's about a month ahead so when i didn't know anything i'd ran over there and i'd look at it ask questions go back and frame it and just kept going at it you know and so yeah that worked out really well we were able to build a 3600 square foot home it was just mom and i Mm -hmm. and um for believe it or not for about a hundred thousand total on two and a half acres it's crazy so when quick question just to intervene what was the timeline difference between your purchase of the lot and the parcel to your beginning construction. Oh, it was super fast. Really? Yeah, yeah, of the same year. Did you already and you would did you develop the blueprint for the home within that I actually timeline? drew it. I yeah. sat there and I and I looked at blueprints of things and figured out how to draw it. I literally yeah. drew the whole entire thing. Yeah, and that's what I, I talked about too in my, you know, podcast when I went through my timeline of all the places mm-hmm. I've lived. I, I kind of described your you had had the blueprint that you kind of like conceived on your own and also the question I have, so I know there's a misconception when I tell people that my, my dad, my family built two houses, they go, oh, they were contracted, you know, no, No. (laughs) you mom. And I believe a couple more people. And then granted that's, that's like foundation. Well, the first one was just primarily me. And then uh, mom would help lift walls. Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) My mom is, she's about five one and about 120 pounds. So she's a small dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We just framed away. And I, I actually hired a couple buddies. It was funny. We built the whole house with hammers 
There was wow. no automated at all. That was dumb. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Whatever. I think part of it was because I didn't know if the contractor or when the contractor was ever going to show up. Mm. And so we even all the subflooring got nailed by my buddies. Just sit there and nail away with a hammer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, built that house and uh, and that was the start of it. But of course, we'd already owned five duplexes, you know, before. At that time. So with that said, uh, let's move on with this uh, yeah. in the sense of investment. So, you know, I wanted to invest more. And then again, uh, we still hadn't gotten to the point of computers yet. So in the paper, there was a 10-unit apartment building in the Browns Edition for mm-hmm. sale. And the interest rates, you guys got to understand, back then, they were 9 10 11%. Yeah. And so I got in on this thing, owner contract. Everything I had was owner contract, by the way, no banks. And um, anyway, bought this 10-unit apartment building of the Browns Edition, and it was 10% interest. And, and the only problem with it was is we started having children. And mm-hmm. by the time we got to our third child, and mom is care- have you, Brianna, and little Michael, yeah. and she's walking up three floors, knocking on a door, asking for rent. Right. Uh, that's when I started kind of questioning if the apartment gig was what I wanted. Right. And just for context, the Browns edition, for example, if you're familiar with Spokane, is, is starting to become gentrified to a certain extent. But please understand that early 2000s Browns edition was not a safe area to say. Well, it was it, you know? actually the early, in the 1980s, early 80s when it was rough. And okay. then it got better in the 90s. Okay. And then 2000s. And it's, it's slowly transitioning, but not as quickly as I thought. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it was the hay, it was where all the wealthy lived. Right. And so the houses throughout time ended up being taken over by investors mm-hmm. who rented all the rooms out. And then there you go. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. I mean, we could have hung on to it, but I was like, hmm. I don't think this is what I want to do. So I sold it and then split that money and then started buying more duplexes. So yes. duplexes was our thing. Yes. And that's what I remember through most of my childhood. Yes. Was, you know, duplexes. And I would say most of our duplex inventory was condensed in the, I guess, eastern, I guess, east off a of division, Midtown, so Northtown Mall area, and then kind of... Northtown, mainly. Yes, and then yes. getting into, you know, getting, you know, kind of off of Nevada. I'm trying to remember some street names we had. I can tell you, but it is, is Yeah, but, and then, and then the older I got, kind of, you know, mid to late high school, we started acquiring properties um, in the Valley a little bit more, I remember. True. Um, and you guys had, did you ever have a... F- you never had any quads. You had triplexes, but Triplex. predominantly duplexes. Correct. Yes. Yes. And so I always went that direction because I just felt like if somebody moved out, that at least half the rent was coming in. Yeah. You know, the chances of two weren't good. But you got to realize that right now, multifamily units are going for a lot of money. They, they weren't back then. And it always amazed me mm-hmm. that the square footage was more than a home, but they were selling for less than a and home. And there was dual income And it sat there yeah. forever. Like, yeah. you know, and we just basically, so as our journey went on, going back to the grind of the building, the house, etc. you know, it's also, you got to be willing as a landowner to, to grind. We, yeah. There's no way we could have made the money we made having somebody else make manage it oh there was no way yeah you know now um we used to do all the work on him too until you Michaela were born and then at that point we've never worked on him since yeah so that was just part of the philosophy you know it's always kind of come down for us that that having play in life is a very important thing yeah and so there's no way that I'm gonna give up my life 
to be able to 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 worship these units right. <laughs> to make money when I you know I, I'm going to make money I'm going to enjoy it but I want to play right and I've always been that way well and simultaneously too I mean you you have to understand to whoever is listening that simultaneous to my parents' acquisition of these rental properties my mom worked. I would say part time until would it have been my sixth grade year, seventh grade year? She stopped kind working. of, sort of. So yeah. she had a, first of all, she had a teaching job yes. up to the day you were born. Yes, and then that was over. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you know, raising you, whatever. She only picked up. I remember she picked up two hours. No, this is before you were born. Now that I think about it, where she picked up as a working at the school as a para pro. But right. then she ended up working online school a little bit. But yeah. for the most part, you know, she, her time was raising you guys, et cetera, and helping with the management of our business. Yes, and know? that's and that's the thing is, you know, she largely transitioned to managing, and, and it's a different beast now because we also do the short-term rentals and, and Airbnb Verbo, but at this point, she was doing a lot of, you know, coordination of maybe like maintenance orders while you were at school teaching and coaching. She was maybe doing a lot of like rent collection and maybe any like delayed rents, kind of coordinating showings and getting people in the units, screening, tenant screening, all that stuff. And so when my dad says we needed to hire out maybe a maintenance guy, it's because my dad, who would be the probably the physically compared to my mom, the one person adequate enough to be doing like repairs, he's at work all day. He's at school. And granted, Chihuahua, where he was a teacher. Well, and what changed the game is forty five minutes, having kids, an hour, you know, you and, know from all the rentals. And so, you know, one thing my philosophy's always been don't do what the other guy does. Mm, you know, and so, you know, it comes in many, many ways. You yeah. know, people are always investing in the stock market and I'm saying, well, what else can I do? Yeah. People say you can only have one or two kids and I say, oh, really? Well, why? Well, you're, you, know? you're, you think for yourself and you, yeah. you, you're not, you're definitely the opposite of a sheep in that way. You are constantly, and I've learned this from you is, is understand that like every decision that you make could benefit or hurt you or be neutral and I think you and mom are always looking for, with each decision you, you're presented with, you are determining what's best for you independently. Well, I try to, look, I try to look for where people don't want to work. Mm. People don't want to grind. They, they, oh, I don't want to own real estate. I don't want to rent them out because it's a pain. Oh, cool. Well, then maybe I'm going to look at that. Well, no, because absolutely at every point that someone is has an aversion to doing something because it's going to be somewhat painful or be more work. That's, that's if you're time. willing to do it yourself, that's money. That's the you know, time is money. Effort is money. The yep. more you can do yourself, the more probably margin for profit there yeah. is because you're not hiring it out. Um, so as the transition went, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, mom and I decided to be open to life and we're cool with that. We had mm-hmm. nine children. And, uh, but with that, there was a financial piece that went with that, yeah. you know, and, and we had to own up to that. And so we knew we had to work hard and, and invest. But what happened was when we ended up moving to Spokane and I took the job at Mount Spokane, um, we started to this, getting to this point where the kids are getting older, they're costing more money. I'm looking at uh, colleges coming down the pike. I'm looking at, uh, you know, we had nine children, but we had my first when I was 34. Yeah. So I'm thinking, ain't no way I'm working until I'm 70. That to, ain't to happening. To sustain a family. You know, so, yeah. and it's funny, here I am retiring at 57 and a half. Yeah, which is... You know, from teaching. Probably so, earlier than you ever thought you Yeah, <laughs> but, but the point is, is that I noticed that a lot of the duplexes that we had, which would be a little bit below the medium... Uh, that people were just not paying rent as much as they should. And I got tired of knocking on the doors and I started looking at how much we were saving going, 
this isn't going to work the way I want it to work. And yeah. just by chance, you know, we'd visited Silver Mountain and I loved it there. And I thought, we knew we'd never own lake property. And so I thought, well, shoot, this would be kind of fun, you know, to at least have a property there. And so we thought, well, let's go for it. And we did. We let the mountain manage it. And then I thought, well, God, what if we manage it ourselves? Yeah. And then at that point, we started and it was working and we started. So we got lucky there, too. We bought all these condos on owner contracts. Which is <laughs> It was just we, at the time, they weren't that expensive. And I saw it and I just kept saying to mom, let's go for it. Let's go for it. So, yeah, we got up to 23 condos at one time. We're down to 15 now when uh, COVID hit. We noticed we had a big, uh, a big target on our back. We lost yeah. about 60 grand in five weeks. And so we thought, well, we better bring some of that money back to Spokane. And so we started buying. Started, then we started doing things different too. We started buying single family dwellings and, mm -hmm. uh, and all that. And so, um, you know, I started thinking diversification was probably good. Um, but yeah. Yeah, go. no, and I the thing that's interesting too about COVID, I do remember there was a you know a couple month period of which things were the effects of COVID and of quarantine and the whole fear of it all, and obviously entertainment was probably going to be hurting across the board. But we also found that come the summer and the late spring of two thousand twenty, you guys were having some of the best numbers. Well, what we decided was years, this: we didn't, know? we didn't. By contract with Airbnb and VRBO, we didn't have to give the money back to people. Oh. People would call and say, well, we're concerned about COVID. And I just said to mom, give everybody back their money because you know what? They're going to they're gonna appreciate it. Yes. They're going to tell their friends. And I just kept thinking, you know what? They're scared. And, and, and what right do I have to keep their money? Right. And in my mind, I just kept saying, do what is right and everything will turn out right. Yes. And we had the... So basically, from the 1st of April to about the middle of March, end of March, we got smoked. You know, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, June, July, August came up. Oh my God, we got so busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, at that point too, I think, you know, weather started to get warmer. There were definitely a minimization of things people could do for fun and what people wanted to do with fun as well. We can be with our family or be in our close bubble of, of folks that we've been seeing frequently. This is pre-vaccine, by the way. And then outdoor stuff. So well, in the, the summer, other thing was they, know, shoot, they shoot, they close the borders in Canada. That's right. And people now are questioning whether they want to fly, yeah. but they want to recreate. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, Kellogg from yeah. Spokane is about an hour and a half. So it's no close. hour 15 hour from our 15 house. From it's from even house. less from yeah, downtown Spokane, but, but it's uh, you know, you've got the trail, of the Coeur d'Alene, you've got the Hiawatha, you've got the indoor water park, you have fly mm -hmm. fishing, you've got, yeah. you got, you can go out with your quad for running. You can go mountain biking at Silver Mountain. Yeah. There's just so much to do. Yeah, the golfing. The so. summer entertainment scene in the in the town of Kellogg and up on Silver Mountain is surprisingly one of maybe the greatest attractions about it at points. I mean, the, the winters obviously it's a ski hill. You got the water park. You got the gondola. It's a whole thing, but. The place sustains itself very well very in the summer. Well. Yeah, you know? and the town of Kellogg has just been all in. Yeah. You know, throughout its history. Yeah. Trying to, and they've done well. Definitely, so. yeah. And I, so kind of getting back to, we've, we've discussed kind of the journey and the timeline of your investments with rentals, what, you know, whether that's short-term rentals or, you know, more long-term leased rentals. But getting into, as I had discussed in, in the podcast I had done previously, the decision to so as we discussed we kind of went through the technicalities of the first home you built in solar loop and during the time of which you had built that home we lived in that home 
to us purchasing the parcel would have been across the street and three houses down, mm -hmm. deciding to construct that home, selling the original home, and then and then living in the, the house across the street from the home we were building. What did that look like? At what, at what point did you buy that parcel, make the blueprints, and then we sold that house and then moved across the street? Right. You so know? We, <laughs> what we did is we we knew we needed to sell the house and and we already bought the property so it was about a year later okay so you bought the property bought the property selling. and the thing was is we um started you know dust the the first dig hit may 1st mm -hmm. school was going to be out you know the second week of june and so i had a little bit of time because the excavator needed to get in there of course i'm not doing that work yeah um but in the meantime um we got an offer on our house and sold it yeah. and by lucky chance in the neighborhood <laughs> i just happened to see some movement across the street and i just got this gut no u-hauls no nothing i just had this strange feeling literally it didn't even look like someone was moving but i thought i'm gonna go find out i just went and knocked on the door and found out what happened they were moving out found out that they were willing to rent it so yeah. we literally were able to move right down the street from the house across you from the project yeah and lived in that house and yeah then, and that was great i'd wake up early in the morning i'd go over there one thing we had decided on the first house we worked seven days a week on yeah. this house which was 5800 square feet which i designed and everything i just said to myself we're, we're, we're just going to give god sunday you know we're going to give it up we're just going to trust it and it's unbelievable how fast we built that house it just everything worked out in every which way shape or form but the crazy thing was they ended up selling the house before we were done, the the house we were renting, we they sold early, so okay. we had to move into our house. Yes. No certificate of occupancy, but whatever. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, we used uh, that we had a, we had one bathroom done, so we used the tub as the sink, and we used the <laughs> one bedroom, which wasn't finished either, as the kitchen, and then we used what was going to be the dining room as the living room, and that was it. Yeah, and, and it so, was it was you, myself, and Brianna, Brianna, and then my mom. And Brianna would have been pretty close to a newborn at that time. Oh, yes. Yeah. She was a newborn because she was born on April the 8th. Oh, yeah. and then you broke ground in May. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. then I was about two years old at that point as well. So you yeah. had these two so little So we tanks. had to block because the stair, there was no railing up or anything. So we had yeah. to block the stair was off to make sure... The girls didn't try to sneak upstairs and fall off down yeah. in the living room. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so, uh, you know, going back, you talk about the houses. So I've always believed this. Don't try to pay your house off fast. I think that's silly mm -hmm. because you can't get it back unless you refi it, which costs you money. Right. And so for me, the idea is don't make extra payments on that. No, refi your house, take the equity out, bridge that money out and buy two or three more properties. Yes, that, you can, that can provide you with rental income. So we've yes. always tried to leverage what we had and people are like, oh, don't do that. What about with this? What about that? You know what? No worries. People need a place to live. They're going to rent it. Have we been just completely screwed over by a renter before oh yeah yes. <laughs> have we had people trash places oh yeah but we plan for that yes you know the one thing i always did is i've always had five credit cards in my pocket that max out at like 20 grand and we don't owe a penny yeah. and we always pay the credit card off at the end of the month no, and you, you and mom have know. always had the goal the goal is the goal well. is is that um if here's what i always say even in sport if you always play defense you're never going to win yeah. You know, you got to play offense, but you also got to have a good defense. And so with that said, you got a little bit of kitty in the bank. You've got ways to get money if you need it. You have equity being, you know, gradually developed monthly in your properties. Like That's you true, but that part's not the defense part. The mm. defense part is the credit cards, which we don't need anymore. Yeah. We had a HELOC. Um, we... Uh, um, 
we had just a little, not when we had equity line of credit. Yes. Um, where we can pull money when we want at 7% interest and throw it back and pay it off. And it's not like they didn't have money in savings either, yeah, and right? Had money and money saved, in but not, what's crazy is not as much as you think. I mean, yeah. here we are hanging on to 19 duplexes at the time and we only had 20,000 in the bank. Right. You know, but we just worked hard and, and at this point, well. I will just say that that is surely not the case, but you kind of got to, in the early phases, you know, you guys would have been in, you would have been in your early 40s. Mom maybe would have been in her, you know, mid-30s, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that, I think, pound for pound is is fairly young, and you could call it risky, but I think if you have... I mean, what the reality is, at any given point, you could have sold one of your multifamily units and, and, and used that money, you know, to live. So but here's the thing, too. You think about 20000 in the bank, Yeah. right? But then, you know, and I'm constantly watching, making sure things are being oh, paid, Oh, he whatever. is the most neurotic and attentive to our finances. <laughs> that I mean, part's true. Very true. But, uh, but remember that that 20 was just a safety net. Yeah. So we didn't need it. And I kept thinking in my mind, well, what's the worst case scenario? Well, about every five years, we'd, we'd get about a $15,000 hit. You know, and it happened. There was a time when I had to sell our truck. Why? Well, we didn't really need it. Yeah. So we just took advantage of it to build a kitty back up. But the point is, it never got to zero. And that selling the truck, mind you, that was that was almost recession era. That was 2008 to maybe 2010. Well, we actually that. ended up buying about three different trucks that we didn't need just because I wanted a truck. Cause yeah. Because it was cool, but ended up selling them because we didn't need them. But, yeah. but the point is, is that um, we always had the safety net there right and then once we got a little bit bigger though i just started thinking we probably need to have more money in the bank and so i remember with 30 grand was our was our big thing then let's make sure we have 30 um but anyway but we were when the big hit happened with covid you know we had like 80 grand in the bank so it was it, we could take it absolutely and the thing is too is, is people get caught up on the amount of money that is sitting in savings when the reality is similar to the stock market when you people people make the argument for the stock market but for some reason they have a hard time justifying you know using your savings and having it sit in something else that's building equity the reality is the equity return on a rental property or the profit return at you know as you're as you're collecting rent monthly is greater than any interest you would make in your savings account and definitely greater than any fluctuations that the stock market may provide you. Well, here's the thing. You know, the, so the, it's like, although there's less money in savings, you got money building you, you have money sitting technically in savings in these properties, but, but they're also providing you with rental income. The so stock market is a great investment as long as you're willing to leave it in there and just let it do its thing. Yeah. And then you have a choice. You, right. know, you could go and put it in a high risk thing and make a ton of money or lose a ton of money. Yeah. You could put it in low risk things, which is still going to make you money. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, most people do that because it, it's, it, it will give you, it'll make money, mm -hmm. no question. You're hands off, no question. And people like that. And I get that. You know, most people have two kids. We have nine. You know, yeah. so we, we need to grind away a little bit more. Um, I was just always afraid of the stock market. You know, yeah. and it's not like we don't have money in the stock market. My whole mm -hmm. teacher retirement is built by the stock market yeah. and that whole chunk of money is in the stock market. Yeah. We just don't choose to, to control it. We right. let the state control it. Yes, which we a had, lot we of had a choice yeah. to control it, but we chose That's not to. That's almost a job in and of itself, yeah. you know, determining where that money is invested. The, so the thing I want to ask you about at this point is, okay, so we, you know, build the Chihuahua house. You know, we lived in that house for what, 11 years, 10 years? Ooh, good. Well, which Chihuahua? So the first Chihuahua house was built in 93. 
three, and then we ended up building the second one in 2000, and then we moved down here, and I believe in 2000, the fall of 2012 yes. is when I started teaching. Yes, so, so about 11 to 12 years. But and we never sold the house in Chihuahua because yes, it was too big to sell. Yes, which is what I want to get so into. Yeah. just sold it. It was 10 years later. Yeah, so we, we moved to, to Spokane and, and explained our reasoning. You know, it was a big move for our family. All of us were raised in Chihuahua, but you and mom were, were Mead High School graduates yes. and were from Bottom Spokane. line is this, that Chihuahua High School, which uh, had gotten up to 500 and some odd kids at one point in time, had gone down to about 300 and some. Right. And I knew we were a double-A school, had gone down to a single-A school, and the rumor was it was going to go to a B school. And here I am, a track coach on a dirt track for all these years, and I just thought, you know, is this really how I want to my career to go? But I always had this dream of coaching in the Greater Spokane League, mm-hmm. and and it was a crazy... Um, thing at the time to think about us leaving we were comfortable we had our dream home um but there was just this itch in me and so the idea was we would rent our house we would move down to spokane you guys would all we all go to mead um and i would drive up well a job i drive up to Twilink just just I just wanted to try it, just yeah. see what it was like. Well, then a job came up at Mount Spokane that was not guaranteed, and I was like, I can't do that. Well, then this guy who I admired, Doug, As- Doug Asbjornsson, the most amazing man I've ever been around, <laughs> uh, you know, who who is a superintendent at a school district and retires that and retires as an admiral in the Navy. The guy's just unbelievable human. Uh, anyway, so he's the one that encouraged me. He said, you know what? You've always wanted this dream. Go for it. It's going to work out. So I took the risk and I took the job. No guarantee. And by May of that year, found out that the job was not going to happen again. Mm. And I was like, oh, shoot. Well, then I don't know what happened, but they another job got created. I interviewed for it, got it. And the rest is history. So, um, but uh, it was very much a risk. That was a risk. That That was was the only risky thing in my opinion that I've ever done in my life. But but in my opinion as well, to maybe support the idea that that risks are worth taking at points in your life, I don't think the course of our financial status as a family, I mean, the pure logistic of being in the same city where all of your rental properties are is a a risk worth taking. Well, we always figured we could move into one, which we did. Yeah, which we did. (laughs) And then simultaneous to, you know, yeah, you know, the impact of moving to Spokane on my life, I don't think the trajectory of my career and my you know, athletic career and, and that of my siblings as well would have been the same had we not moved to Spokane. But as we were saying, we made the decision to to not sell our home and that it was probably the safest bet to rent it. And then we actually moved into a side of one of our duplexes in the school district of which you got a job and, and in the Mead School District where we ended up going to school as well. Right. Yeah. So we chose to rent the house because we thought, well, let's go test the water in Spokane and we can always move back. Right. And then all of a sudden now I'm a full-time teacher and and at that point we're like, well, we really do want to sell the house now, but the house was just too big, too big and too expensive at the time for Chihuahua. And we're like, well, we were blessed that we were able to always have a renter um, and, and, and it was fine. But we knew that the day had to come yeah. when we were going to finally have to sell it. Um, but one thing I was going to say that 
one thing that's always kept me very grounded is I always know my happy place. It's camping, water skiing, or snow skiing. And with that said, it doesn't matter necessarily what type of house I live in because no one's going to take camping away from me. No matter how financially Which <laughs> a testament go, to us living in a trailer yeah, for two or three months. As, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and literally, I mean, we had to work our way back because here we are living in one of our duplexes. And then I found out this, I looked and I don't know how I noticed this house was for sale. And I thought, well, I want to look at it. And I wasn't a real estate agent. And this was about a half mile to a mile up the road. Yeah. So I went, <laughs> I went and looked around it and noticed the window was open and I crawled in it <laughs> and I started looking around. I'm like, holy crap, we could do this. So couldn't afford it because we already owned another home. So I talked to my mom and she went in on it with us and we were able to buy this house. And then at that point, typical me, I, I tore off the deck, built a brand new deck, wiped out the kitchen, rebuilt the kitchen. We were there for about a, a year and a half. So and it was a bit of an incidental flip. I mean, it did. Yeah, a total, it, it, total incidental flip. Total incidental flip, but, but I'm sure the profit margin was there after the work we, we put into it and then the yeah. general appreciation over that year. But there goes back the grind, you know? Yeah. And then, and then finally we were like, okay, we need to get a house big like the one in, in Chihuahua. Some, so, you know, something to sit in long term yep. and, and build stability. So we found yeah. one. And it was a weak part of the market, but a great house. And, and this was what, 2014? And we went yeah. for it. But the funny thing was, I told my wife, we got to sell it to buy, sell our house to buy. So we did, and we were homeless for five weeks. So we camped literally and, for and, five weeks. And homeless in loose terms. As I talked about in the podcast previously, we owned, I mean, how many feet, how many square feet do you think? It was about... 12 foot trailer 10 foot oh no it was a 21 foot trailer. 21 never mind <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. The, but the point is we would stay on top of mouse spokane at the bottom oh. pitcher we would stay in the parking lot at kellogg yeah do all kinds driveways of, of friends and family yeah. we went on trips and, and you know my again you know my dad is a teacher so it's we had this summer off so regardless we were used to traveling in for long periods of times in the summers just because i mean my my dad wasn't working, right? He was he was he had the summer off, and so growing up, we always were used to you know doing doing road trips down to California that we were gone for you know two to three weeks for. Um, so the idea of being nomadic in that way was not something we were unused to. But simultaneously, we were waiting for the house to close, yes. and I'm sure we can get into that. And this one. was the worst yeah. part. <laughs> so uh, we're sitting at the Bull and Pitcher. It's a hundred and some degrees out. The trailer does not have air conditioning. I'm sweating <laughs> my brains out, and uh, and that was we we're supposed to go sign on the house that day and get a call that that they weren't. It wasn't going to happen, and I was so mad. I said, kids, get in the Suburban. We drive there. I walk in there. I said, we're not leaving until we sign these papers. And then they said, please just give us one more day. Fine. So we signed the next day. I asked, where are my keys? And they go, oh, your real estate agent didn't tell you? They brought into the contract that the people, and mind you, I'm not a real estate agent at the time, that they get three more days to stay there because they want to go to Silverwood. And the house was completely empty. So they would not let us even Begin park our trailer in, yeah. on this three-acre parcel. So that wasn't a whole lot of fun, well, but we got through it. The reason that the financing for that home took so long was, I believe, because of the amount of assets we had, the amount of homes we It was we that, had. but plus we still owned a house already. Right. So, yeah. Was but, that situation um, the... I guess the inception of you guys creating the LLC and and operating and doing loans, maybe commercial loans through that, was 
due to that situation partially or more so due to the, the acquisition of the condos? Say that one more time. Well, because you can take out different loans as an LLC, commercial loans, right? We had never done a commercial loan at that time. Okay. Yeah. Well, well my, obviously, I mean, we had been had had issues, but that was more because of the home that we owned as well. Not it was because more because of, of that. It was, our, it was our portfolio was very difficult mm-hmm. to get through. They had to try to assess everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Anyway, so we finally got that home, and and that was good. Yeah, and I talked about again. I'm I'm cross referencing that last podcast, but the I don't know the significance of that home for me. You know, although you were always so adamant of explaining the process and never did I feel that we weren't lost. I always felt, you know, we're live- we moved from Chihuahua, we're living in one of our duplexes. There's a purpose, there's a reason, this is a smart financial move. This is a risk we're taking as a family and this is the most cost-effective way to take this risk. Okay, we're buying a house down the road that is a nice house in a suburban area but it's a little small for our family, I'm trusting the process. I'm trusting the process that we will be able to flip this house in a certain sense and and profit from it and use that money towards the down payment and the acquisition of a more permanent house. So so getting into the more permanent house, which is the Country Ridge house, was very significant in my life, especially after being nomadic in a, in a camping trailer for three months. Um, and we stayed in that house for... I mean, I had gone off to college during that point, but you guys as a whole lived in that house six years, for I six think. years. But yeah. right off the bat, I mean, the, the landscaping was was very not nice. So I rented a machine and I wiped the entire landscaping out. And then we had it drawn up by a professional and then I just did it myself. And so, I mean, I would literally on school days, I'd wake up at three in the morning and get out there and work in the dark. And, and, and we turned out pretty cool. And we all worked on it. I remember it was on Thanksgiving break, which was, I don't know why we it was just... A warm, it was a warm winter. I, I remember the ground was hard and, and you woke us up and you go, we're going to, we're going to begin the landscaping progress. And we were just upturning. There was these bricks. Um, bricks that were lining. It was a pretty like shoddy landscaping gig. There wasn't, I don't even know if there was grass. It was basically a house on a plot of land that was predominantly dirt. There, was a, there were two rectangles of grass. Yes. And then, so we started upturning the, the stones and the bricks and started the process. And then, you know, by the spring, we had fully landscaped what was otherwise yep. a pretty untouched parcel of land. And it was gorgeous and definitely boosted our quality of life in that house. But simultaneously, what would you say, other than pure ap- appreciation, and not to mention we sold that house at the hottest point in the market. Yes. Um, but what to what extent do you think the landscaping aided in the appreciation huge. and the value of that house? It was house? huge because yeah. it, it really set it out, the, the house apart, you know, and, and it, it was a big deal. Yeah, and then that was a gated community, but it was an upcoming gated community. So, you know, there was quite a few parcels of land that were for sale, and there were a lot of houses similar to ours that did not have proper landscaping done yet. But as we began to live there, and we were kind of the first ones to fully landscape and make our plot of land look as you would imagine a home in a gated community would look, I noticed there were other neighbors who started to to work on landscaping and clean up the area. There was new construction kind of going on. And um, it was interesting because it, it was a gated community and it was a cul-de-sac technically, but they were larger parcels of land. They were nicer houses than maybe the average you know, suburban development. But that is because there was no one contractor or builder that was, you know, that was providing blueprints and building these like, you know, pre-made homes in that way. It was every man for himself in the neighborhood, 
which I think added to the quality of the neighborhood, oh, yeah. personally, because there's, you know, you're not living in a house that's identical to your neighbors with right. a different paint color. Um, but then come, you know, I kind of talk about as well as I was explaining my journey, um, my decision to move back to Spokane, uh, you know, from Bellingham and, and begin my real estate career here. But at that time, you guys had finally chosen to to make efforts towards selling the the Trila house that had been rented for the last six to eight years. And in doing so, you made the decision to, at the, at the peak of the market, sell the Country Ridge house and move back to the Trila house, renovate it, clean it up, and get it ready for sale the yeah. following year. Explain that process and explain the ultimate, I guess that's kind of the more final financial Tetris scene that we did to be in the house that you guys are now and have really create the dream lifestyle that you've always wanted. Well, first of all, uh, understand that if you want to be an investor, you have to know the market. Yeah. And so I thought, um, yes, I'm a real estate agent. And but, at this time in the country, it has, he had become right. a So agent. I'm just, you know, I, 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 it was a hard sell, first of all, to try to get my kids to want to move Yeah. this time. But Especially back to But Chibula. I just kept watching the market, watching the market, and I noticed that out in the meat area, houses that had been sitting for two Three months, houses over. There, there were four houses over eight hundred thousand that sold in a week, and I went, something's different. Yeah. And so I told, I told my wife, we got to put the house up for sale right now. And sure enough, and so the goal was to sell it, move back to Chihuahua, fix it up, beautify it. At that point, the house was twenty years old, so we knew we needed to modernize it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we put about thirty grand into it. Uh, you couldn't tell you enough how much kitchen. it beautiful a beautification of a kitchen is a major deal. Oh, and the redoing of the floors from hardwood major, to LVP. Yeah, Definitely. major major deal. LVP major deal. Yeah. And anyway, so. Yeah, and then the whole idea was we'd move back to Chihuahua and decide if we wanted to stay there. But ultimately, we knew we wanted to sell the house and come back to Spokane. Right. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, just literally about four months into this thing, the house of my entire dreams came up. And, and, I, and I was like, this is the house. This is the house. I go, I, we just have to go for it. One way or another, we have to go for it because we're never going to get this chance again. Yes. And so another risk, maybe, but, um, but when you know your numbers, you know your math, and you know the market, so you just know when to go. Yeah, and we've been you know, in the house that was purchased. I mean, 24 acres, God. A lot of yeah. It's just a. a it's just really a. Yeah. A, a, we won't talk about the home, but it, we're very happy here, um, and and it's it's been a quite a journey. Quite a journey, and it's it's incredible to see. You know, I have been probably conscious for this journey not since the beginning, but let's say I've been conscious from most of from it. the for most of it, and you know, hearing my dad talk about the uncertainty of when he would retire from teaching and coaching due to the amount of children we have. And, and, you know, the uncertainty of will we ever end up in Spokane or will we stay in Chihuahua? We would like the mobility to be able to end up being in Spokane. And here we are. You know, he's going to retire before the age of 60 from, from coaching and teaching. He is going to be a full-time realtor along with managing our properties with my mom and and really, you know, also the diversification between you know, long-term rentals and short-term rentals, and we're in our dream house. And who would have thought that it would have happened so quick, but I do think there was a grand design and that you're, the mix of your meticulousness and, you know, real attention to our finances and, and jockeying those finances as well, mixed with your ability to take calculated risks are why we are here today. There's the misunderstanding that, that 
that there's that luck involved with with risk taking and that to be a business owner you have to be willing to take the risks or as an investor but understand that those risks are met with calculation and simultaneously to calculated risks you have to be watching your money and moving your money strategically so it's not by accident that we are where we are but i think there's another piece to that too you Again, you, you can't just play defense your whole life. Exactly. You've got to play offense. But, exactly. the, but the calculator defense is that you're willing to strap your boots on and grind. Definitely. You know, I mean, you have to be able to do that. You yes. have to be willing, able, and ready. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you embody that more. I, I mean, I'm so privileged to be your daughter, and I am more than happy always and, and maybe harass you more than you would like about, <laughs> about questions and about kind of furthering my knowledge and building my own perception and brand if you could no, call I, it I of investing it. i'm so proud that you're a real estate agent i mean i i never even i don't think it's cool i think you're going to yeah. be perfect for this job and and it'll be you'll be very successful with this and there's no doubt and i'm learning i'm learning from in my opinion one of the best and i am so honored to be to be a disciple of your of, <laughs> of your um i don't know craziness yeah no you're <laughs> I don't know, your ability to marry calculation, risk, and hard work. Yeah. And, and that is what it takes to be an investor in, in real estate and to be a strategic investor in real estate and, and to be an investor in anything, really. And, and you, you know, I have so many of my friends come over or, or former classmates of mine that were students of you and constantly the youth is asking you questions about how you made it work. Because I think you are unconventional in a way that sparks conversation and question, but once... You, they, people talk to you. That's why I wanted to have you on this podcast. It, it's very clear that there's, people. I don't know, people's perception of of craziness or of being a loose cannon or being risky, is usually out of proportion with the reality. And the second you have a conversation with with you and understand how calculated it really is, it all makes sense. It's 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 numbers. It's hard work, and it's a level of playing offense for sure. And I'll leave you with this is that don't ever get, forget to play. Mm-hmm. Don't ever forget your happy place. Yeah. And don't ever forget that you're just taking care of it for the next guy. Yeah. Because that's the reality. You know, you got to have life in perspective, Right. you know, and we always have had life into perspective. Yeah. And so with that said, you know, I am retiring from teaching and I say, no, I'm not retiring. I'm just uh, re-upping. Definitely. Going to another field and still going for it. Well, and you're never too you're never too old to to begin new endeavors, and you're never. And Amen. I think what keeps you and mom young is your ability to 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 switch it up in life. You know, never once have I felt that you guys were stagnant. And I think many people who have who've had nine children and who've worked. I mean, you've been a teacher for upwards of thirty five years, thirty three and a half years. It's easy to fall into stagnation, but you guys always keep it fresh. You always keep it exciting. You always keep it ambitious, and I think it will keep you young in the long haul. So thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you. You're the best. You're my dad. I love (laughs) you. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and if you have any questions about real estate, please feel free to reach out to myself, Michaela Costeca, or my dad, Pat Costeca. We are now a part of different brokerages, but you you want to get involved with investments, I think my dad is one of the more savvy and educational people you could talk to. So hit up the Costecas and we'll help you get involved in the in real estate and help you build your, your financial future. So thank you so much for listening. It was a pleasure. Talk to you next time.